Hello everybody, this is James Murua with episode 14 of the African Literary Podcast. Enjoy! A few weeks ago, McKenna Maganjo, a new name on Kenya's literary scene, launched her debut novel, South Bee's Finest, about a life in a Nairobi estate over a few decades at the Goethe Institute. The book has since gotten rave reviews from a writer very few people heard about before. We speak to McKenna at a Nairobi restaurant about her book, how excited she is that it has resonated with Kenyans, and the writers who inspire her like Ayobami Adebayo and Zadie Smith. We would like to thank Prestige Books for sponsoring this edition of the podcast. Prestige Books is your favorite bookstore for African and other literatures with branches on Mamagina Street in the Central Business District and at the Lovington Mall. Thank you so much, McKenna, for agreeing to do this interview with me. Thank you so much, James, for interviewing me. I'd be interested in, you know, the influences for you on the writing side. Um, so the influences, I think the first one is obviously estate life, which is um, regardless of where you come from, if you've grown up in an estate, it's fascinating. Just the strangers who become family in the community that you get there. And I was interested in exploring that in literary form. Uh, I'm interested in, 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 in telling stories that are center women and um, female friendships. And I also felt like within an estate life, you obviously have all these female friendships. And I just, again, wanted to explore what that would be like. I was curious to see um, how that would all pan out. What are the people who you have read that have influenced? I'm talking about the people who've influenced you, I mean, in the past. I have to start with Ayobami's book, Stay With Me. Uh, wow. The way that lady wrote about the small town, I think it was Ife. The, it was like a, it was a it was incorrect someone can correct me if I'm wrong about the town um I loved the way she told that story it was simple and yet complex at the same time so that's one um I also heavily influenced by Zadie Smith's um, white teeth I love books about everyday life because you get to talk about the political the social the economic, like just so many things you can put into everyday life. And there's a magic about that. It's the first time I think I'd read an everyday life book and it had completely blown me away. I really enjoyed White Teeth. Um, in fact, I think I kept coming back to it anytime I was writing. Because, um, you know, big plot books are great, but White Teeth is not a big plot book. It's just things happen and then it ends, but it's done so well. Um, other influences... Um, Juno Diaz's This Is How You Lose Her for the um, way he used Spanish and English and didn't care whether you understood what he was saying. But you did because you got, in fact, if anything, it made you um, understand the stories better than if he'd written them all in English. And I really liked that, um, that th the way he chose to write um, to, to mix the two. Um, yeah, so those are, and I'm sure there's so much, you know, the thing is when you ask this question, everything goes out of your mind. Oh, I have another one. Tejuko. Mm. That man's mind, the way he describes things, the poetry, um, I love his um, uh, collection of essays. Also, um, uh, essays I kept coming back to when I was writing South Bay's Finest and thinking about how I wanted to describe things. Um, and yeah, so right, yeah, that's, and I have to give a shout out to Judy Bloom. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's talk about this book now, yeah. because um, I read the book, 
I, I currently live in South B. Yes. So it, it really struck a thread with me also. And um, you've, uh, you, you're much younger than the period you're writing about. Mm. What's the process that you went through, the research, the work you did it, to get it right? Because it's really on point. Uh, thank you so much. Um, that was definitely uh, a, a consideration I took and I had to do a ton of um, uh, research. I used the um, archives, went to look at newspapers that were written in that time to get an idea, not just of like the big things that were happening, um, the everyday stories that we'd see um, in the newspaper. Like there was that whole thing about the uh, tent of the living God that was big then. Um, so, so reading those papers really helped situate, helped me situate the story. Um, I also had, uh, I, I was also listening to music that um, of the time. Again, a really great way to um, understand what's happening in a certain time is to listen to the music that people loved in that time. Um, obviously, uh, a lot of research is also interviewing people, whether it was family, friends, um, anybody who would talk. And you know, in Kenya, very few people want to talk about the past. No one likes discussing the past, or at least not in great detail, or it takes a long time. It takes like coming back, you know, um, every other time, and then you get a bit of the story, a bit of the story, and like after a year, you finally get the whole story. So it was tons of just conversations with my parents, with yeah, family, friends, anyone who could um, share. Uh, yeah, so that was, and then also read, um, one of my favorite books is uh, Dr. Nair's essay collection, Kenya at 50. And I'd love to see more like that. There's also the one I read, Whispers. Uh, the, uh, but his, co yes, um, the, his collection came out more recently. Um, so, again, reading things like that um, were extremely helpful in, um, in doing the historical research. So, one of the commentators told me that when they read the book, mm. It uh, reminded them of the first time that they heard about, they watched Dangerous Affairs <laughs> by Judy Kibinge, where you're seeing yourself in ways mm. that you couldn't have imagined. Oh. Uh, um, and the same applies to me when I saw Wanuri Kahil's uh, movie about the bomb blast. So, I mean, the thing is, um, how do you feel about the way that that emotion is coming out for people who are reading the book? It's so overwhelming, James. It's crazy. I'm not sure I'm processing it. Because, you know, when you write, it's a very solitary thing. You're on your own for a very long time. And you obviously, you have ideas of how you hope people will take the book. Um, but there's a lot of fear. <laughs> and so just hearing um, the feedback has been amazing. It's been overwhelming. And at the end of the day, because I'm in, in, at the launch, I discussed about um, my journey to publication and how I got rejected by agents. I really wanted to write this. This story was for us. And so when I hear that Kenan's loved the story, I'm like, you did your work. Like for me, I always said before I published, if this story resonates with one person, I've done my job as a writer. So maybe I feel like, you know, I've done my... <laughs> yeah. Uh, do, do you want to share us about the, the, you know, the way the book came to exist? So the ideas began in uni. Um, I just write a bunch... Like I knew I wanted to write a coming-of-age story and a story that lasted over several years, um, but I didn't have the estate idea. So what happened was I'd just write like different chapters, different scenes. Um, and then I was in Eldoret at one of my best friend's places and we'd gone down to Kerio Valley and we were driving up and I saw this kiosk and I said, I found it. I found the narrative like device I'm gonna use to tell this story and it was the estate. Um, 
and that was from the idea to that thought was probably three years but after that thought came it was now a lot faster <laughs> well not really it was also another three years but you know it's it was more productive because i understood what i needed to do um and i understood what would anchor the story and these lives together um so and then after that i began um writing the book i don't actually know when i my I'm sure I, I have the dates somewhere in, you know, the documents. But my laptop crashed, so I don't actually think I have those dates. Anyway, um, <laughs> I first draft was pretty fast. I'm one of those people who believes in get a really bad first draft out of the way, look at it, hate it, and then you have something to work on. Then previous, like, then draft, the drafts after that took a bit more time. And those ones, uh, that's when I did most, the bulk of my research was after the first draft was written. Because I love research a lot. So I knew if I began with research, I was never going to do that book. Um, but then, because I knew what I wanted to do, it informed the research. And um, But that's just my process. There are people who will start with like years of research and then writing. But I know myself, I love information too much. Um, so yeah, and then I had obviously the um, um, my editor, Dr. Nyairo, came in. Um, probably, I want to say second or third draft. And that was pretty good to get that. Um, you know, they always say like a really good editor is somebody who doesn't tell you what to do. They only say what's working, what's not working, and it's up to you to figure it out. Um, brilliant editor, uh, honestly. Brilliant editor, and that's really helped the process. Then a bunch of my friends read the book um, when it was really bad, got really good feedback. So now that you've done your, your drafts and the book is being edited and... And then the book launches at the Goethe, basically a full house. I mean, how does that feel? It's insane. I think nobody, this is a thing, like nobody can, there's nothing that can prepare you for that. I was talking to a friend after the launch at Goethe and she said, you know, there were people at the back who didn't have seats. And that was crazy to me because the first time I'd gone for um, an event at the Goethe was the one where um, Zukiswa Wona and Ayobami were then, it was full. And I, um, I was still writing my book then and I remember thinking, oh my God, can you imagine even doing a small event, let alone something? I hadn't. It wasn't even in my mind that I could that Gote would even be a possibility. And then being there now for the book and seeing people come out to support, uh, many of whom had just heard about it online and wanted to support um, a fellow Kenyan writing, was, I mean, it was just amazing. I met so many great people there. And it made me think, you know, writing is solitary, but I kind of don't mind this. Like, I like actually meeting people. Uh, <laughs> a little, I'm scared most times, but it was really nice. Okay. Yeah. I can't uh, end this without asking about, you know, you, know, you, you deal with the small things, mm. and you, but you also deal with the really big things. Mm. Uh, and you, there's a way you are able to move back and forth between the two. Um, wow. Yeah, that's, that's because the big things make the small things if that makes sense what you're going to the macro is a micro um and like with the heavier themes all of us are going through something um and what we're going through is big for us it's it's we are i mean the center of our own universes and it didn't and these things kind of came organically they, there's as i got to know the characters i got to learn and understand what issues they would be dealing with and how they were going to deal with them. So that's kind of how the big themes came from learning more and more about the characters um, and their backstories. So how, say, for example, Mr. Madai would handle um, multi-party politics 
coming into play and how Beatrice would is completely different because they're completely different people. So the more time I spent with the characters, the more it informed me of the issues that the macro things that would be affecting their daily lives and not just the macro themes, just like um, their own struggles, um, whether it was relationships, friendships. Um, but it's, I spent a lot of time with these people um, and that's the beauty of many drafts. You know, you get to learn your characters more and then some surprise you. They were never there in the first few drafts and they come out of nowhere and, and they say, Mrs. here I am. Um, Mrs. Mutiso was never even meant to be so huge in the... She just said, okay, well, I'm here now. And Mrs. Shah as well said, well, we're here. And so it's, writing is so fun and horrible at the same time. I don't even know. It's, it's <laughs> a special torture. Is it over now? Uh, are you going to do any more torture writing <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely more coming um i have many stories i want to and many worlds and characters i want to explore so i'm currently working on my second novel um and when i say working on it i always say i'm just crying over it every day and, <laughs> and complaining like about it <laughs> i love it it's something you know like with work it's like you're always going to complain about whatever work you do because the idea would be to do nothing <laughs> like, but like mm. this is a this is something i don't mind complaining about for the rest of my life it's fun yeah yeah so so, so do you do you anticipate um because it was one event so uh, how do you see yourself getting the word out maybe across the continent about you know who, your work um if anybody would like to invite me anywhere <laughs> i'm open uh, <laughs> and um yeah so we're we're basically yeah, trying to plan out more events um uh, to meet um um uh, readers and to get the book out there and and to meet other writers as well. So we're just trying to put the calendar together, but always open to be invited to anywhere. <laughs> just, okay. Yeah. So last question. Yeah. Uh, please uh, tell us the right women writers you need us to be reading. Women writers and okay. So obviously have to start with um, Ayobami, and then McKenna and Jerica has just released Digital Bedbags, which has a few female writers in in the anthology. Um, and I also want to say um, Chintu, Jennifer. Um, she's amazing. Jennifer and Subakamakumbi. Yes, yeah. Um, um, those are my go-to female authors of the moment, um, uh, uh, whose books I've been enjoying. Yes, yeah. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you.